You know, we celebrate freedom today on the 4th of July, the freedom of our country. It's great to live in a free nation. And here's, uh, we had great fireworks last night, as I mentioned, but here's another dad in his driveway saying, or backyard, um, get ready, kids, I'm going to pour on the milk, Rice Krispies, you know. I wish dad wasn't too cheap to buy fireworks, you know. That's kind of our household right there. Um, but as believers in Christ, we were created uh, to experience freedom in a much more profound way than even the freedom that we experience in America. It's freedom from our despair, freedom from our isolation and being alone, freedom from fear, things like that. And so this morning, the outline is going to be looking at how we can experience freedom um, from those things. Universal Press Syndicate talked about three dolphins that escaped their performing pen in Key Largo, Florida, and they were discovered uh, several miles away, several days away, actually 55 miles away in Key Biscayne. And every day at 10 a.m., 2 p.m., and 4 p.m., these dolphins would, right on the hour, perform their tricks, looking for their, uh, you know, their trainers to feed them at the time and the trainers were this far away and so um, the Sun Sentinel reports that the boaters nearby were too happy to oblige themselves and feed these talented performers. Though freed, these dolphins were still living as though and functioning as though they were in captivity. And the same is true with us. We've been freed in Christ the moment we accepted Christ as our Savior but oftentimes we live as though we're still in captivity or in bondage to sin. In fact, a guy named Neil Anderson, who is now a pastor and author, but prior to that he was a professor at a Christian college for some years. He would counsel students and, and faculty all the time in his office, and he discovered one trait over and over again in, in dozens and dozens and dozens of cases. These students and faculty members knew the scripture. They were in a Bible school after all, but they were still stuck in some ways. They were still experiencing bondage in some ways spiritually, which launched him into a ministry called Freedom in Christ Ministries. We support Rob Reed, who, uh, who is a leader in this ministry too. He's one of our missionaries. And uh, so I'm using these uh, two books, materials from these two books and others uh, from Neil Anderson as well as Celebrate Recovery in the next few weeks to discover and discern how we can walk freely as God intends rather than being stuck in bondage. And his books are Victory Over the Darkness, Breaking the Bondage. So when God created the first humans, he created them to be free, didn't he? We're going to look at Genesis 1, 2, and 3. You know the story well, but I want, want us to look at it in light of freedom that God created us to live in. Now first, paradise was given to the first humans, Adam and Eve. God's original intention were for people to experience physical, spiritual, and eternal life and freedom. We read in Genesis 2-7, the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. God breathed into these, to Adam, and and. God created Eve, I'm sure, breathed into her too. The life of God was within these first humans. There are three words for life in Scripture. 
There's bio, which means our physical life. We are alive physically, where the soul is connected to the body. And if they're ever separated, then we'll be dead physically. And then there's another one, Psyche, talks about our emotional life that we experience and our joy and our happiness and our sorrow. But then there's spiritual life, and it's, it's Zoe in Greek. And Zoe, and it means the divine life, the life that was breathed into us. It, it's a life when the soul and the body are connected with the Spirit of God. We are connected to God. Adam and Eve experienced this physical life, bio, as well as psyche, emotional life, as well as divine life, the spiritual life, because they were one with God. I mean, they, they experienced God's presence, his full presence and life. This physical life was more than biological for Adam and Eve. They experienced purpose, intimacy, and security because of God in their life because of this Zoe life that they had inherited from God. And so that's the outline as we look at paradise uh, given, paradise lost, and paradise regained. We're going to look at these three elements in each. So they experienced purpose originally in chapter 126. God created humans that they would rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all creations that move, creatures that move along the ground. God empowered Adam and Eve with this significant purpose, not only to tend the garden, but to rule over God's creation on earth. What a huge responsibility with significance. And so that was purpose, great purpose. They experienced intimacy as well. Intimacy with God as they walked and talked with God in the garden in paradise. But they also experienced intimacy with one another. As we read in 2.18, the Lord said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And so Adam and Eve experienced intimacy. In fact, in the most profound way in 2.24, they became one flesh. And then they experienced security. They were given this security. Their needs were met every day. In verse 29, God said, I will give every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. Every need was given to them at their fingertips. They didn't have to work for or toil or, or contend with weeds and then they were secure, not only with their daily needs, but in their relationship. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. They're completely unified in their relationship. Paradise was given to them. It was a wonderful life of life in the full sense. But then, paradise, as you know, was lost. Because they were seeking purpose, intimacy, and security in and among themselves rather than looking to God. They believe the lie of the serpent. And we do the same thing, don't we? Uh, 2003 newsletter article. There was a, a young man of 21 years old named Ali, A-L-I. And Ali, he had little money, he did not have a wife, and so he traveled 90 minutes on a regular basis, got on bus, and he, he rode it to Baghdad because of the defeat of Saddam Hussein, there was a new freedom in the land of Iraq. And there he could pay $1.50 to spend 15 minutes with a woman in this room that was a cell with a curtain on it. He complained, you know what? 
it's a good deal, but these women should bathe more often. Additionally, in brothels, Iraqis had their choice of adult cinemas, just 70 cents a day, buys them an all-day pass uh, to a pornographic film festival, if you will. And any time these uh, commercials came on the screen or these trailers interrupted their enjoyment, they would boo and hiss. Referring to these newly available activities, Ali grins and he says, now we have freedom. Well, God created Adam and Eve not to experience that type of freedom. Freedom to sin, but he created them freed from sin, a freedom from sin. Adam and Eve chose to sin, and they experienced a loss of life and freedom as God intended for them. And what did these losses entail? Well, again, they lost their purpose. They were aimless. They were, they were restless. They were hopeless. They were kicked out of the garden, and they had to forfeit their responsibility to rule over the earth. And they did so to the deceiver. Satan then became the ruler of this world in John 14, or the God of this age in 2 Corinthians. They lost their purpose. They're filled with some sort of emptiness. And then they lost their intimacy, which led to isolation from God. 2.17, you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will certainly die. And so they did eat from it, and they certainly did die. Not physically. They died in their Zoe life that they had received from their creator. They lost the connection with God. And therefore, Adam and Eve hid from God. They acted out this lostness. God said, Adam and Eve, why are you hiding? 3.10, he answered, I heard you in the garden, God, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. In other words, they were filled with fear from God, and they were filled with shame in God's presence. And oftentimes, if we sin willfully, you know, we kind of run away from God because we don't want God to see us. You know, we, we want to hide who we really are from God and from others because we don't want to be judged with God's wrath. We don't want to be ashamed in God's presence. You know, we don't want to go to church. We've got to get our act together before we return. This loss of life, Zoe life, also led to physical death eventually for Adam and Eve, and therefore death entered the world, but it also ultimately leads to eternal death, eternal separation from God in a place called hell. Verse 22, God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord banished him from the Garden of Eden. He put cherubim there with swords so that they could not enter in to eat of the tree of life any longer. They were doomed to death, both physical death and eternal death. They lost their intimacy with God. They lost their intimacy with one another, too. This one, Adam blamed Eve for the predicament they were in. And then Eve blamed the serpent for the predicament. The man said in verse 12, The woman you put here with me, God, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. So blame, pointing the fingers. Another result of their... Uh, 
sin was in verse 15 and 16, I will put enmity between you and the woman, Adam. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you, Eve. Loss of intimacy. And then there was the loss of security, which led to fear and worry. And in verse 17, cursed is the ground because of you. Uh, Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. No longer did Adam and Eve have free access to the gift of God. They had to work for it. They had to toil. They had to contend with all these uh, oppositional things like weeds and, and thorns. So they lost a lot, which reminds me of a story about a guy who went to go get a large couch for his living room, and he went to the store. And the, the salesman said, well, I got this large couch. It'll fit five guys with no problems. And the guy said, well, there's a problem because I don't know five guys with no problems. We all have problems because paradise was lost, and we inherited Adam and Eve's issues. Something has to be done. Well, fortunately, paradise was regained. God had a plan from the very beginning to send a Savior, His Son, to restore that which was lost so that we could experience freedom once again. So let's look at these three components again. There was restored freedom. We're freed from this aimlessness and hopelessness. A life, we're freed from this life like I gotta fill my life with something. I gotta, I gotta hop from activity to activity on the weekends you know there's a concert there's a fourth of july party there's all these things to fill me with some sort of meaning but eventually we'll realize like solomon life is empty apart from god everything is meaningless and aimless and and you know all this stuff cannot fill my soul but yet we continue more and more to entertain ourselves to death Jesus said, on the other hand, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. And this life is the Zoe life in connection with him, which leads to satisfaction, which leads to purpose, which leads to making a difference. In the first service at the end, I shared this because every first Sunday of the month, we take a retiring benevolent offering besides our regular giving, which enables us as a church to to be very generous with people in our community that um, are struggling. People who randomly stop by or call and they're desperate. And I got story after story. I'll just tell you one of three or four that I could share with you in this past couple weeks. But last week, I was at uh, Jumpstart gas station, got gas, and I was parked uh, near the, the uh, inside I was reading over notes for my sermon, just taking a break there. Got a little thirsty, went in to get a drink. When I came out, a car pulled up, a guy got out. He lit lit up a cigarette. I said, hey, how you doing? He said, I'm tired. I said, well, that's an invitation to talk, I guess. So why are you so tired? Oh, I've been traveling all morning uh, from Iowa, and I'm headed. I said, where are you headed to? Texas. Why are you going to Texas? I got a construction job down there. But I'm leaving my wife and child, he said. Why are you leaving your wife and child? Because my wife cheated on me one too many times, and I'm done. She can't have the cake and eat it too, he told me. I said, oh, man, your, your child must, must be heartbroken. Well, she doesn't know yet. He goes in his car, pulls out his phone, shows me a picture of a beautiful little 8-year-old girl who thinks dad's just away for a week or so 
at work. And I said, oh, dude, I'll pray for you, man. And he, he had tears in his eyes and just meaningful God appointment, you know. I said, I'll pray for you. He said, oh, thanks, dude, thanks. I, I, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus, too. And, oh, thanks, thanks. So I said, see you later. I got my car. Before I pull out, he knocks on my passenger window, and I, I unroll it, and he said, hey, you didn't pray for me yet. <laughs> and so I reached over, grabbed his hand, and I prayed for him there. And then he said, hey, uh, can I bother you with one more thing? I'm flat broke. I was about ready to call a church to help me. And uh, I need gas, and plus I'm hungry. Well, I was on my way to an appointment, so I said, I'll, I'll get gas for you, sure. And I'll get you, uh, here's, here's a, a little money for a meal. And he said, and as he's putting gas in his gas tank, and I overheard him in the distance saying, thank you, Jesus. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Lord, thank you, God. Hallelujah. Oh, praise you, Jesus. He just went on and on. He didn't know I was hearing him. But it was a legitimate answer to prayer in front of Jumpstart. You know what? That's what gives me life. Opportunities like that. I wasn't looking for it. In fact, I would have missed it totally unless he knocked on my window. But God says, I got an appointment for you, John. Not because you're a pastor, but because you're my child. That's what gives us life. Being used of God as his vessel, his ambassador. Every day, people are around you are hopeless and hurting. Pray for opportunities like that. Um, I, I thought of this, and so I wasn't going to share that story, and I won't share it at the end now. So also give in the benevolent offering if the Lord leads you above and beyond. Um, guitars, you know, sometimes a string will break off, and, and so I have to go in my guitar case and get out a new shiny string, and it's beautiful, and look at this. I could use this string as a weapon to poke my friends with it, you know, sharp. I could use it to hit my animal. I don't do that. I don't have an animal. I could use it for, I could hang it on the wall, look at how beautiful the string is, but it's not fulfilling its purpose unless it's strung on the guitar and then utilized that way. Well, we all have a purpose, and God says, this is my purpose for you, and it is to give you purpose for my kingdom. So paradise um, is restored by God restoring purpose to us in Christ. Secondly, uh, paradise is restored um, when um, it restored intimacy. We are freed from our isolation and our loneliness. Man, we got to make it through this world on our own. No, we don't. John 14, Jesus said, hey, I give you this command. If you obey my commands, then I will give you my advocate. He will help you and be with you forever. My spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So Jesus came to restore our relationship with God so that he might live with us forever. Restored intimacy with God. You know, when I was in high school, my parents started a halfway house called the Harbor House. And um, I lived in, in the house for about a year and a half during my high school years with men. And occasionally, though, a man would break, break the house rules, not just once, but maybe three times, three strikes, and you're kind of like, sorry, you can't stay here anymore if you can't live according to the house structure. And so occasionally, some guys would, would leave uh, before they would want to even. At the same time, I was painting houses with my dad and a paint gang and my brother, and oftentimes I'd have to paint the lattice work behind the bushes in the front, you know, all the, and I hated it, you know, in the hot summer, sweating, and I was just leaning back on this bush, and this book, bush went crack, 
it cracked in half. And, and so I had a wad of putty in my pocket, or in my paint can actually, and I took the putty and I puttied back that trunk together and I stuck it. And we finished the job a few days later and all was great until three weeks later when my dad said, hey, uh, do you know anything about this tree, this bush that died in front of the... I said, uh, no. Yeah, I do. I putted it together, Dad. He said, you know, that doesn't work. Putty will not revive a car, or or a car, a a tree. And and so um, my dad kind of corrected me, uh, but he didn't do, do so harshly. He made me go and plant a new tree and apologize, things like that, but he was very gracious, very caring, he didn't, strike, he didn't kick me out of the house, say, you no longer belong to this family, you can no longer stay here. Strike three, you're out. He was stuck with me because I was family. Jesus restored us into the family of God. 1 John 3, see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. Jesus did not come to condemn us, John 3.17 says. John 3.16, he came because he loved the world, John 3.16, to give us eternal life. Next verse, he did not come, the Son of Man did not come to condemn the world, but to save the world. He didn't come to judge the outsiders, he came to go and seek and seek to save them. Romans 8 says, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Yeah, we mess up, yeah, we do stupid things, but there's no condemnation. We don't have to fear him like Adam and Eve did and run and hide. Many liken God to a distant or controlling parent. When we mess up, we fear his wrath and his disappointment. And, and that's why Jesus came. He said, I'm going to show you what my father's like. Look at my life. And then he told stories like the, like the prodigal son. He said, the son deserved judgment. He deserved to be kicked out. He deserved to be made a slave or a servant of, of the father. But when the son came back wounded and hungry and hopeless, the father saw him in the distance and he ran to him like no other Middle Eastern men would do. He lifted up his robe a little bit and he ran to his son and he embraced him. He said, oh, my son is home. Let's throw him a party. And he wept and he rejoiced. And that's what God is like. But instead, we think God is so angry with us and disappointed with us. To the contrary, Jesus said, no. It's like this. And then finally, my last point is this, um, that, that Jesus came to restore our security in him. We're secure in him. We trust our heavenly father not only for our eternal security, but for our security on earth. Romans 6.33, seek first the kingdom of God, and then all these things will be given to you when you need them. I will take care of you like I take care of the birds, and the flowers in the field. I will take care of you. John 3, 16, um, whoever believes in me will have eternal life. Jesus says you have life now to the full. Right now, not just for eternal life, but you have it in the present. I give you eternal life. Whoever has the Son has life. John 14, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You have me, you have life. I've come to restore that security that you have life not only for the present, but also for the future, though. We have eternal security. There's a traveler going by this village with his little suitcase. He walks into this little village hut, 
And a man's in this one single room, uh, a man of God welcomes him in, come on in. The guy goes in and there's not a stick of furniture in there except for one chair and one man. He said, where's all your stuff? Where's all your furniture? Where's all your belongings? And the guy, the guy in the house said, where's yours? He said, what do you mean where's mine? I'm just passing through. I'm a traveler passing through. And the guy in the house said, well, so am I. He was looking forward to his eternal home in heaven. I shared that last week too, so sorry for the redundancy. Uh, Security doesn't uh, mean, though, that we're free from suffering and pain in this life. Just ask our brothers and sisters in other countries, and they'll, they'll teach us a lesson. Chinese believers, for example, they suffer. They say, in order to be a Christian here in China, you must recognize that you are already dead in Christ. You're already dead. Galatians 2.20 says, Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I've been crucified. I'm dead. As Americans, we'd rather stand up for our rights. We'd rather dig our heels in and yell for our rights. And Jesus said, you've got no rights. You're dead to your rights. You live from me. I will take care of you. Settle down. Love your enemy. And uh, be a Christ-like presence to them be a person of peace and once you recognize this they said in China then any day that passes by in your life is a gain they say in some countries surviving one day or one year means that you have one day or one year that God has given to you to testify in your words and in your deeds about me Uh, fear should not be uh, fear should not control us but Christ should control us claiming one's freedom in Christ is central to the faith Um, and to fighting fear. For example, here's the example. In China, when authorities threaten house church leaders with the confiscation of their property, they respond, if you want this property, if you want this farm, you need to talk to Jesus. I've already given it to him. And if you take it, well, I'm free to trust in God for my daily needs. I'm free. When Chinese Christians are threatened with torture, they claim they are free to trust in God for healing. When they are imprisoned, they proclaim, then they are free to share their faith with other prisoners. When Chinese believers are told that they will be killed for Christ, they state then they will be free to be with Jesus forever. They experience freedom like we don't even understand. And I humbly confess that. But restored security means that we are to live life to the full, um, God will protect us. He'll provide for us in the present, even though it might mean suffering. And he will give us assurance of our eternal life. So that's it. That's the, that's the foundation for our freedom, starting in Genesis. And we'll look at what it looks like to walk in that freedom in very practical ways in the weeks to come. Uh, paradise was given to us. Paradise was lost and paradise was regained or restored by our Savior Jesus. And we can walk in that freedom in purpose, intimacy, and security with God. And just to conclude for the last few minutes, uh, four minutes or so, Tina Larrabee is going to come and share a personal experience of the freedom that she experienced in Christ. Thanks, Tina, for sharing. Good morning, church. My name is Tina. I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ. My life before recovery was pretty rough and full of struggles. 
I did not know how to deal with life on life's terms. Anywhere from the passing of my mother, failed marriages, several different types of abuse, the loss and detachment of my children, dysfunctional family, and drugs and alcohol. Not knowing how to really deal with all these on my own left me feeling worthless with very little self-esteem, full of guilt and shame, full of depression, and not knowing any peace or purpose for my life anymore. Did I believe in God? Sure I did. Did I trust in Him? Did I fully give Him all my life? Not until four years ago. That's when I found Celebrate Recovery here at Countryside. Sure, I was nervous, but the people were friendly and warm and welcoming. I got involved in a step study. Um, it was rough and scary at first, but when I learned there was no judgment, I started working on all my struggles. You see, I gave Jesus all my stuff, all my life, fully dedicated to him. I started coming to church on a regular basis, trusting in his understanding of me and what he has for my life. I have learned that I am a child of God. I am loved, and I, am a purpose, I have a purpose in life. Sometimes I don't understand why he does things, but he does them with a purpose. God has restored many relationships in my life, one with my sister and friends through my younger years and my children. He has taken me out of places and moved me to a better environment. You see, after having a five-year job, God said, it's time for something better. I didn't understand what he was talking about, but I didn't argue with him. With that being said, I now have a better job. I, can, I have health insurance and a life policy on myself. And for the first time in my life, I can honestly say I am at peace and have a purpose in my life. Without Celebrate Recovery family and Countryside Covenant Church, I wouldn't be who I am today. Thanks for letting me share. Thanks, Tina. And there's a before and after picture uh, when she was in addiction on the left and then when, when she's free here. Jesus really makes a difference, even in our demeanor, uh, but in so many other ways in Tina's life. And I love it that you guys sit behind me and worship because I love hearing you sing and uh, your love for the Lord. So thank you for doing that. Uh, we're going to uh, have communion now, and uh, we're going to experience the ultimate freedom because of Jesus' death and resurrection. And he demonstrated what he was going to do at the Last Supper when before his disciples he took the bread and Jesus broke it and he declared, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then after supper, Jesus took the cup and he poured it and he said, and this is my blood shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim my death, my death which will lead to your freedom. Amen.